Welcome to Stacy on the Right. Filling in for Stacy Washington, here's Abraham Hamilton III. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right with Abraham Hamilton III. Filling in for Stacy, we are in hour two of the program. And if you're just tuning in to the program, I want to welcome you to the conversation. We were uh, just talking about uh, my description of commonly referred to as secular progressives, uh, my description of them as regressives. And it's based on uh, the speech from former President Calvin Coolidge all the way back in 1926, whereas to summarize it, he said that there are certain rights, certain principles that are that are enshrined in our Declaration of Independence, that they are final. Things like individual liberty, things like the rule of law, things like our rights being inalienable, which is which literally means the rights that we enjoy. They're not the product of government. They don't come from government. They're not given to us by government. They are given to us by God. And no man can justly alienate us from those rights. Well, then you ask, well, what is the role of government in that understanding? Well, the role of government then is simply to protect the rights that are given to individuals by God. Government's function is to protect those rights. And so understanding that anybody who would advocate an ideal that is against these founding principles that are against the biblical truth that underlines and that is injected into these founding principles, they can make no claim to progressing anything. And I think it's important to bust that up because one of the things that regressives are good at is marketing, (laughs) advertising, and propaganda. They will present, you know, the elimination of individual liberty, the ever expansion of, of the behemoth called federal government, the cessation of individual liberty, taking your rights, crushing religious freedom, crushing Second Amendment freedom, crushing freedom of speech. They would present that as progress. No, cat daddy, that ain't progress. That's regression. That's regression, which is why I call these people regressives. And since we're speaking about regressives, once you you understand that um, and join the army that is pulling the veneer off of the flowery language that really conceals devious and nefarious ideology, um, you're able to spot them wherever you find them. And one of, I won't say the chief, but among the chief regressives that are on the on the on the uh, national stage today is none other than wannabe Democrat president presidential candidate Cory Booker. Well, he was speaking to a group. He was along with Elizabeth Warren and he was talking about uh, the necessity to oppose Brett Kavanaugh. If you haven't been following that, Brett Kavanaugh is, is the appellate court judge who President Trump has nominated to succeed Anthony Kennedy, whose retirement is effective uh, Tuesday next week, I believe, um, to fill his seat. And Senator Booker finds that prospect to be untenable. So I want to play a little bit of audio for you on that and let me know i want to play some audio for you uh, from cory booker if you would Devin, if you'll play clip number three uh for the listeners i want to call on everybody i'm not here to tell folk just what they should know i'm here to call on folk to understand that in the moral moment there is no there is no neutral in, in, in a moral moment there's no bystanders you are either complicit in the evil. You are either contributing to the wrong or you are fighting against it. 
There's a saying from the Abrahamic faiths in one of the Psalms that says, Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But that doesn't say, though I sit in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say that I, 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 I'm watching on the sidelines of the valley of the shadow of death. It says, I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It says, I am taking agency that I am going to make it through this crisis. And so I am calling on everyone right now who understands what's at stake, who understands who Kavanaugh is. My answer says that someone shows you who they are. Believe them the first time. He has shown us who he is. Now, <laughs> you have to excuse me if I don't consider Senator Cory Booker to be <laughs> qualified, should, should I say it that way, to define what is or what isn't a moral moment. I mean, come on. I'll tell a personal story because I have some more audio for you. But um, I represented AFA at a rally at the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., supporting Jack Phillips when the Colorado Civil Rights Commission sought to crush his free exercise of religious liberty by compelling him to violate his conscience and make a custom cake for a couple who wanted to celebrate a same-sex wedding. And I was actually speaking on the steps of the, the Supreme Court when I looked to my left and there's somebody else speaking about, I'd say, 50 yards away from me. You want to know who that was? Cory Booker. Cory Booker was there declaring the moral superiority of same-sex unions. It is this same Cory Booker who supports the in utero genocide of the unborn child. He supports that as well. And I can go down a litany of things that Cory Booker supports and revealing to you that he may not be the one from whom you should take cues concerning a moral moment. He sees Brett Kavanaugh's nomination as sheer evil <laughs> that requires you not to be a neutral uh, stander by. Oh, no. He accuses you if you support Kavanaugh. Which, by the way, I've had my questions about Kavanaugh. I, I feel like President Trump bunted, but he should have been swinging for the fences with Kavanaugh. You know, Ben Shapiro said, don't just uh, frustrate the regressives, own them. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, but he feels like if you support Kavanaugh or if you just simply don't oppose Kavanaugh, you are complicit in evil. Now, a question I have for you is, do you think Cory Booker is the type of person you should take your cues for? take your cues from i want you to listen to this audio from not too long ago when now secretary of state mike pompeo was presented before the senate confirmation committee because he was making the transition from heading up the cia to becoming the secretary of state and there was one senator cory booker that had an interesting line of questions for mike pompeo if you would Devin, please play clip number four you said in a speech that uh mourning in america that endorses perversion and calls it an alternative lifestyle, those are your words, is being gay a perversion? 
Senator, I, 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 when I was a politician, I had a very clear view on uh, whether it was appropriate for two same-sex persons to marry. I stand by that. So, you, so it's, you do not believe it's appropriate for two gay people to marry? Senator, I continue to hold that view. It's the same view. And so people in the State Department, I met some in Africa, that are married under your leadership, you do not believe that that should be allowed? Senator, I, I, we have, I, I believe it's the case, we have married uh, gay couples at the CIA. You should know. I treated them with the exact same set of rights. You believe, that, you believe that gay sex is a perversion? Yes or no? Senator, if I, if I can... If yes or no, sir. Moment, if do you believe that gay sex is a perversion? Because that's what you said here Senator, in one I, of your speeches. Yes or no, do you believe gay sex is a perversion? Senator, I, I, I'm going to give you the same answer I just gave you previously. Now, you heard with your own ears Cory Booker's grilling of Mike Pompeo. Before Mike Pompeo was tapped by President Trump to hit up the CIA, he was a congressman from Kansas. Mike Pompeo's stance on same-sex marriage is well-known. He spoke about it repeatedly. He's written about it repeatedly. It is well-known. So you notice there was an adjustment in Cory Booker's questioning uh, when he asked Mike Pompeo first about same-sex marriage. He said, listen, when I was a politician, my views are well-known. I haven't changed my views. So then Cory Booker ups the ante. And folks, this is, this is not some conversation at a barbershop. This isn't two guys hanging out on a corner. This is Cory Moral Moment Booker <laughs> finding it appropriate in a confirmation hearing where Mike Pompeo is up for the job of Secretary of State having no authority to make marriage laws, no authority to do any of these things, where Mike Pompeo is being asked by Cory Booker whether or not he believed, Mike Pompeo believed, that homosexual sexual activity was a perversion. Okay, just let that, let that, let that marinate for a second. And this is the same Cory Booker who wants to lecture you and I about Brett Kavanaugh's nomination being a moral moment. I think somebody's got their wires crossed about morality and moments and complicity in evil. I, th I think I think there's a, a strong wire crossing there. So you have to pardon me, pardon me rather vociferously if I don't take Cory Booker seriously when he talks about this being a moral moment. I mean, this is the guy who he supports the genocide of children. You know, and the thing that's so so amazing in this is when you reject God's standards, you end up having to 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 contort yourself ideologically to articulate cogent positions on various things. I'll give it I'll give you a perfect example of this. Some of you may know, many of you may not know, prior to coming to American Family Association and, and coming on the radio, that I was a, a trial lawyer. I was a prosecutor for ten over about 10 years, first in Harris County in Houston, Texas, and secondarily in Jefferson Parish in Louisiana. And so I've tried lots of trial cases, everything from murder to armed robberies to rapes, you name it, I've tried it. And I'll never forget the one case I tried. It was an intoxication manslaughter. So if you don't know what that is, it is it is when there is a car crash that results in the death of a person. And so you then have to uh, put on evidence that shows the crash was caused as a result of the driver and the person who's charged with the crime being intoxicated. 
Okay. So I had a case where uh, you have a driver who was intoxicated who crashed into a car being driven by a woman who happened to be pregnant. And the crash resulted in the death of the baby. Now, just try to stay with me for a minute. I have a few minutes to try to explain this. I knew what was coming because I believe the Lord prepared me for the trial, but I knew what to expect. I had a, a pretty good defense lawyer on the other side of the case uh, who argued one of the things you have to prove in, in murder cases and in uh, manslaughter cases, you have to prove that a person was killed. A person was killed. And this is an example of the contortions that happen when uh, we reject God's way. The defense attorney argued using Roe versus Wade as a case precedent, arguing that his client, although, and this was his argument, which I thought was a shrewd argument, his client, all being not innocent, could not be legally adjudicated as guilty for violating the manslaughter statute because according to the precedent allowed under Roe versus Wade, the baby was not a person. Now, think about that for a moment. Why is it, and I would have went even hard, he stopped his argument there, but if I was arguing the case on the defense side, I would have argued, why is it that this person who consumed too much alcohol, who crashed into this young lady, why should he be held criminally responsible for an act that doctors do in abortion facilities every day? And not only do the doctors get away with it, but they get paid money to do it. Why should this, cl my client, this wasn't my client, I was arguing on the opposite side, uh, on the opposite side of him, why should my client be held criminally responsible? And it, it, it poses the question, because we have to choose if, as a society, if, if the child in utero is not a, not a person, then why is it all of a sudden a person when the car crash happens? And you see, that is what occurs. And of course, I'm not arguing in favor of that. I, I rejected that argument. Thankfully, that person was convicted and the, the judge uh, uh, and the jury was able to disregard that argument. And no problem, because obviously I believe it is a child. And, and first of all, science, not first of all, science shows us that it's a child. The DNA, the blood type that the child has is completely distinct from the mother. In addition to that. The, the 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 chromosomes and the gene the genetic information that's present in a child is what the child would become and scripture tells us that in hebrew the word for a baby in the womb is the exact same word for the baby outside of the womb it's one word transliterated as baby but when we reject god's way we find ourselves contorting in this fashion you see what i'm saying you're listening to Stacey on the Right with Abraham Hamilton III. On the other side of the break, I'll have my guest, AFA Journal writer, Ann Reed. Stay close. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I'm reading through the Old Testament now, and I'm coming to places that are named that I see on our Israel tour every March. It's really fascinating to think that Jericho existed way back in the Old Testament thousands of years ago, and I can visit there today. The same can be said for Jerusalem. The Bible literally comes to life when you visit Israel, the Holy Land. Now, we're going in March. My wife, Allison, and I, we lead these tours every March. So if you would like to go with us, you need to go to the website and check it out. It's twholyland.com, TW. HolyLand.com. If you want a brochure sent to your mailbox, just call us at 800 Families, option 5. That's 800 F A M I L I E S, option 5, and we'll send you a brochure. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I talked to a man the other day who was going through a pretty rough time. A former colleague is accusing him of things that he says are absolutely not true. And these accusations strike at the very core of our friend's character and reputation. So when I asked him how he was doing, he said, Crawford, I'm pretty calm, amazingly. I believe the Lord is protecting me. I was encouraged to hear that. As followers of Christ, there will be those times in which we will all experience attack. That's the nature of the Christian life. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the Moabites and the Ammonites were coming after Judah to attack them. And King Jehoshaphat was scared to death because he was outnumbered. Listen to verse 3, then verse 12, and then again verse 15. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. Now verse 12 says, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Then verse 15, God said, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Let me share with you from this text how I think we need to handle things when we're attacked. Number one, pray. Before you do anything else, drop to your knees and pray. Secondly, when we can't act, we need to wait for God to act. Wait for Him to move on our behalf. Then number three, don't panic. It's God's fight. Here's what I want you to remember today. If you're being unjustly attacked, remember God has never ever lost a battle. Turn it over to Him. The battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Filling in for Stacy Washington, here's Abraham Hamilton III. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right with Abraham Hamilton III in for Stacy, and I am excited to have AFA Journal writer woman of God, and most importantly to me, sister in the faith, Ann Reed here. How you doing, Ann? I'm doing well. Thanks, Abe. Oh, no problem. I invited you to join me in the program because you've written some uh, in instructive and I would say provocative pieces that have appeared on AFA's blog site, The Stand. You just go to afa.net, The Stand. And after listening to Ann, you certainly are going to want to make sure you get all of her writings. So to subscribe to the journal, uh, which is AFA's magazine publication that comes out monthly, you simply go to afajournal.org. That's afajournal.org where you can subscribe for the journal there. And, and I guess let me ask you this. Do, to subscribe to the journal, does anybody, do, they have, do people have to pay to get the journal? Initially, you do uh, qualify uh, just by going to the website for a one-year free subscription. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So you just go to the website. Sign up there, subscribe there, and you get a one-year free subscription. Absolutely. Sounds great. Well, I brought you into the conversation. Uh, just before you came into the studio, I was telling, my, telling a story uh, that, that discusses how we as a society have to con contort ourselves when we reject God's way and reject God's word and his law. And I was telling a story about a case I had where I tried an intoxication manslaughter case where the decedent was a baby in the womb mm. and how the defense attorney argued using Roe versus Wade as uh, a legal basis to have his client acquitted, mm. which was not successful. Thanks 
be to God. Uh, but it was a de- it was a defense that I expected because if you have legal precedent stating that a baby in the womb is not a person, then how can you hold a person hold a suspect or a defendant criminally responsible for terminating the life of an unborn child if the legal status is that they aren't a person? It's ironic because a number of states have uh, laws on the books. Uh, For instance, think about um, the Lacey Peterson case, Lacey and Scott Peterson case. He was tried and convicted for for two murders. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so in in that vein that I learned about this a while while ago where Dr. Alveda King, the niece of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is producing a film called Roe vs. Wade. And because of the nature of the film, she had some problems with bringing the film to completion. And I've, as a result, well, not as a result, I came across an article you wrote about that. If you would tell the listeners a little bit about the film itself, and then let's dig into your article a little bit. Sure. Uh, so this is produced by Alveda King, um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s aunt, as you probably know. Uh, and they have run into many problems. Of course, this is not a film that uh, Hollywood is going to fund or promote. So in You don't o- say. Yeah. <laughs> so in order to be able to, to secure the funding, um, they had to come to We the People. We're kind of in the A. <laughs> I was thinking of that today. We're kind of in the age of we the people. Yeah. If, if that, I think that's exactly why we have the president we have in office right now. Mm. So uh, in order to get the funding, um, they um, had to do a GoFundMe account in mm-hmm. order to raise the money. And so that made it public that we're doing this film. And so as they start the production, as they start the filming, uh, they just ran into a number of problems. They had um, many, well, many maybe is not the proper word, but they had several they had their director their assistant director walk off the set uh, even behind the scenes kind of people when they learned um, that this was actually a a pro-life movie uh, they would describe it as having a pro-life slant but in actuality it's just a truth-telling film Um, so a number of their um, their actors and crew members um, frontline behind the scenes um, walked off the set as a result they've had a number of problems with uh, filming locations for instance um, Abe and I were both uh, Louisiana people Uh, (laughs) so they initially started to film in New Orleans and um, LSU uh, did not allow them to to film there on the set and there's uh, I guess you could say that that's up for debate. Uh, the producers of the film believe it w- is because of the content and said that someone from LSU actually told them that but wouldn't put it in writing and LSU is now um, saying that that is, that is not the case. It's not because of the content. Uh, they were able to do some filming at Tulane one day and then after that they were unable to, to continue filming there. They run into problems in, in New York with um, not receiving approval to to do to secure key locations for filming there as well. That's amazing. So you have people and I don't know the individuals that are involved, but you have people who work in the film and entertainment industry that they'll work on all sorts of smut. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seems like those movies have no problem finding numbers and scores of actors and actresses and writers and producers who want to participate in those films. But you have a film that attempts to tell the real story of Roe versus Wade, to tell the real story of even uh, the named plaintiff. A lot of people don't even realize this, but that the the Roe, if you will, of Roe versus Wade was Norma McCorvey, right. who one never even actually got an abortion, right, and secondarily 
became a born again Christian who fought abortion until her dying death. And in fact, uh, that the minister who, uh, who who ministered to her and and aided her in coming to faith in Jesus Christ was Flip Benham, right? The father of David and Jason Benham from the Benham Brothers group. And so th- this movie is built around telling the true story about the the backwoods manipulation and how uh, these lawyers were were committed to trying to to get this law passed. But you have this story attempting to correct the record, and you see these people fighting against it. With Roe versus Wade being such a hot topic with this judicial nomination and the Supreme Court up to debate, don't you think it's important for the American people to really learn what the backstory is concerning Roe versus Wade? Absolutely. And um, from what I understand, of course, I haven't seen a tr- even seen a trailer to the film, but have heard um, Alveda kind of telling th- the backstory. And um, the starting point, from what I understand, is going all the way back to Margaret Sanger, who, you know, um, if we know, if you know the, the story of Margaret Sanger, and I'm sure you could fill them in, I'm sure you have plenty already, Abe, um, she basically built the foundation um, for Roe v. Wade to be established. Um, and then you have uh, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was a prolific abortionist um, during the 70s. He had done um, over 75,000 abortions by wow. that time. And, oh, and he got together um, with Betty Frudin and um, the attorneys for the Roe v. Wade case for uh, Roe's attorney, and they basically just built a strategy for for how do we convince the American people this that that this is something we need to move toward. And, and um, Dr. Bernard Nathanson actually um, years later, after seeing ultrasound technology, um, he did a 180 himself mm. and so he did a lot of truth telling and he told the truth about i call it the back alley manipulation that brought mm. forward roe v wade um and and one of the the key things that they did to kind of change the thought processes of the american people is they just totally made up these these huge numbers for the number of back alley abortions that were taking place and the number of women who were dying wow. as a result of these fictitious back alley abortions wow so they make this story up out of whole cloth, which is not a surprise because one of the people you named, Betty Friedan, who's the mm-hmm. author of The Feminine, Feminine Mystique, uh, one of the uh, paragons of third wave, fi- third wave feminism, second wave, third wave feminism. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote a book, The Feminine Mystique, uh, decrying and lamenting the condition of the American housewife as if it was a first person experience. When the reality was she never was an American housewife. <laughs> she made up the story completely and had scores of Americans uh, buying into uh, the woe is me about the American housewife, which, which was a flat lie. So it's, in, it's no, not surprising to me that you have this wicked cabal coming together to create the back alley manipulative story to allow Roe v. Wade to come into fruition. That's amazing to me. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, you know, in the the culture that we're living in today, how much of those kinds of things are taking place where, you know, just totally fictitious stories are being made up in order to move a a movement forward. Mm -mm, Just flat out lying. Mm -hmm. Flat out lying. Well, in the article that you wrote, you had this one piece that was, uh, this one statement that I found to be absolutely uh, startling in that their opponents to the film, many, many of them oppose it on many different grounds, but some opponents to the film did so based on finding the images and the portrayal of aborted babies as being too graphic right. to display. 
What struck you <laughs> about that? Well, you know, it, it always is interesting to me that that pro-abortion people find that so offensive. And I don't understand why that is. They call it, you know, concept of um, contents of conception. They call it a lump of cells, um, parasites, whatever. They have all of these terms that they use. If it is any one of those things, then why would there be any offense with seeing those images? Great, great point. If, if, if it is all of these things, right, if it is just a lump of cells, right. it's a, a mass, a tissue, the contents of, what did you say, conception? Contents of pregnancy or contents yeah. of conception. Why would it be so appalling to see that? I think, if you ask me, it's because they want to keep the American people ignorant to the fact that, no, this is actually a baby. Right. And then the more and more people that see the baby, the more people will have a visceral rejection of abortion. It's the same tact tact with the uh, Emmett Till case with the casket being opened. Right. <laughs> that you can tell the story all day long, but when you see Emmett Till's battered body, that sends a message that exceeds verbalized communication. Could it be that is the reason why these folks don't want people to see, no, these are babies being murdered? Well, recent studies have actually shown that that it is only graphic images that is that changes the minds of of the people when it comes to abortion. You know, they've done studies on that and they've shown people they've um, done different arg- shown them different arguments and but when they show people the graphic images, the reality of what is ha- actually happening, that's what changes minds, mm. and they know that. Mm, they know that, and we see that also. We, for example, we at AFA support uh, Mission Preborn that that seeks to get ultrasound machines into as many pro-life pregnancy resource centers as possible uh, that when you have pro-abortion minded women who come into their resource centers that they enable them to see their babies on the ultrasound machine and something Mm -hmm. like 80% or or more and I could be a little off on the number uh, but 80% or more of the women who see their babies they who were abortion minded they change their minds because they actually have the visual connection with what they already really feel in their hearts Mm -hmm. the fact that no, this is my baby. Yeah, and you know what, Abe? Even after the fact, women such as myself who who have abortion in their past, it was actually a graphic image for me that was a turning point for me in my healing process. Wow! So, in addition to um, causing a woman to to take a second uh, look at this and and to con- consider, you know, whether or not abortion is really the thing she's been told it has been, when she sees the reality of it, it it can also serve in another way in in bringing healing to our country for the the many women uh, in our nation who have experienced an, an abortion. And I'm sure with Alveda King uh, being the producer, you know, she's post-abortive herself, I'm sure that she is going to address that issue um, and have some, some outreach to the women who see the film and are post-abortive as well. I would I, be very surprised if she didn't. I absolutely agree with mm-hmm. you 100%. And, and as you're saying this, it may, reminds me of Ephesians 6.12. Uh, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And maybe a little out there for some people, but I think the opposition that Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., where her uncle crusaded for uh, civil rights and and the the recognition of the humanity of all Americans, where his Mm -hmm. niece has picked up the fight to, to expand that recognition of the humanity of all human beings, starting from conception, it's not lost on me. That there is spiritual warfare that doesn't want to see this this movie uh, come to fruition. That it, it really, in my view, could set the stage for America addressing it, its second 
uh, national sin. The first being the original sin of slavery. Right. Uh, the next one being abortion, where over 60 million uh, babies have been killed right. in our country, that this film could be used to reverse that. And, and say the darkness doesn't want it to come to light. And the timing on this is just amazing. It's remarkable. Um, they're actually hoping to be able to get this in the theaters by October the 12th, mm. which is believed to be right around the same time that Judge Kavanaugh will be coming up for confirmation. That is um, that is interesting timing. Yeah. Interesting timing. Now, I have another piece, and we're getting close to the break here. Maybe we'll just uh, start into it that you wrote. That's also on the stand, afa.net. You go to the stand. And also, to find all of Ann's writings, you want to go to afajournal.org. afajournal.org and sign up for the one-year free subscription where you can get the AFA magazine on a monthly basis, the AFA Journal, where you find Ann Reed's writings there. Now, she has another piece, and I don't know if we have much time to get into the, the fullness of this right now, but you're going to stick with me through the break? Okay, we have, that's enough time to start it. Two minutes. All right. The next piece is titled Netflix is at it again. Homosexuality in Anne of Green Gables. What is that about? Anne of Green, Babel, Anne of Green Gables is just a classic Christian novel series. It was written in the early 1900s. Um, it's kind of like Little House on the Prairie, wholesome, mm-hmm. virtuous, you know, and Netflix got a, got a hold of this series, and I actually watched it uh, last season. I uh, was kind of excited to watch it, being a Anne with an E myself, mm-hmm. which is the, the name that they gave it on Netflix is Anne with an E, and so I, I was, you know, kind of cautious as I was watching. I noticed a little bit of, of, of feminist kind of thought process sprinkled throughout it, mm-hmm. um, Little definitely a little bit of a, a darker kind of overview than what you would have seen if you saw the original TV series or if you read the books. Um, but they've just taken it to to a completely new level uh, with the new series this that's, year. That, that's amazing because we're living in a time, and I know we're getting close to the break, so you definitely want to stick around and hear the rest of this interview. But it seems like that's happening all across our country to where it's like serve pro, you know, erase what history mm. has done, even even the teaching of history in our in our schools, we kind of speed past, you know, the the founding era and even the colonial era, and we start right at about I don't know 19, 1863, mm. 1864, and we kind of kind of uh, highlight something there and then go right to the 1960s, to where we want to mar the history to kind of separate us from our national. Rudder, do you get that feeling from Anna Green Gables? We have about 15 seconds. Absolutely. We've seen that with the, the author of the Little House on the Prairie series. They've they've literally erased her name from a National Librarian Award. That's amazing. We're going to hold it right there. You're listening to Stacey on the Right with Abraham Hamilton III and my guest, Anne with an E, Reed. Stay close. You don't want to miss the rest of this interview. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Once I understood Lauren's passion for adoption and the rightness of it in God's eyes, Lauren and I agreed we could do it together. In the end, we both had peace of mind about it. Even so, we had slightly different ideas about how to proceed. My big question was, what's the best way to do this? I was more concerned about the process than Lauren was. I think she was a little frustrated with me as I tried to talk through everything. This reminded us that the Lord often brings together different types of people to complement the other. That's what makes marriages special. 
So just remember to treat your differences as something that God has created in each of you. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Physical activity is the new trend. It's not a bad thing unless it has brought a sense of vanity in your life. Two years ago, I was not happy with the number on the scale nor how I looked. I've never been a huge person, but I was, as the old folks would say, healthy. (laughs) I joined a gym, gained a personal trainer, even changed some of my eating habits. The Lord checked me one day and in my spirit said, why are you disgusted with yourself? Be healthy, take care of the temple I've loaned you, but do it because you want to honor this body, which is your responsibility while on this earth. I said, you better let me know, Abba. Psalms 139 verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Wonderful. I know that full well. 15 pounds down, I know that even if I was to never look like Serena Williams with those nice framed worked out arms, I am wonderfully made in his image. And so are you. With the heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. I'm not so certain we have as much time as many of us think. It's high time for the body of Christ to return with a fire lit up under us to proclaim in the truth of God's word. To proclaim the truth of sin and repentance and not coming from a high lofty position, but telling the truth as such were some of us. We have to do that. We have to. But what happens is, and I, I call this first world problem, uh, we have this epidemic of churchianity in America to where we are far more accepting and far more willing to embrace the trappings of church life, even if they're void of the presence and power and fire of Christ. And I would say to you, just as the Bible says, that we can have a form of godliness while simultaneously, at the exact same time, deny the very power of the gospel. Of the gospel. gospel. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Filling in for Stacey Washington, here's Abraham Hamilton III. Welcome back to, man, this is the last segment for Stacy on the Right, last segment of Hour 2 uh, with Abraham Hamilton III. And my guest is Ann Reed. And before, I didn't say it right, Ann with an E, Reed. <laughs> before we went to the break, we were discussing uh, a classic, an American classic, Anne of Green Gables. Well, it has been redone for Netflix, modernized with a new series and the t- title of it now is Anne with an E. And before we went to the break, uh, my own, our own Anne with an E Reed was telling us about how the values that were communicated in the original version of Anne from Green Gables, Anne of Green Gables, has kind of been modernized hmm. and eroded to a degree with this new prospect and in your piece and you've written a story about this on the stand where you said where hope had been paramount in the original depiction oppression prevailed in the first season of Anne with an e would you unpack that a little bit for the listeners sure um so 
if you're not familiar with it, Anne Shirley is Anne of Green Gables, and she was a little orphan girl. And so in the original depiction, um, it was really uh, a very hopeful story. Um, it, it was actually translated into, I believe, 36 different languages. And so it was used as a tool for, for children to teach them um, that they could overcome obstacles in their in their lives. So it was very hopeful, very, um, you know, in, instilled in. And, and children um, just the, the the strength, the ability to to overcome adversity in their lives. And so, um, with the first series, um, I noticed that it was just um, a little darker. Um, it wasn't, you know, quite as hopeful. And there was also um, a lot of. Um, kind of stress on her desire to be strong and independent and so you had that kind of feminist um, theology for lack of a better word kind of um, spread throughout that first series um, but it de- they definitely stepped it up with the second season um, so Anne had an, has a, a great aunt in the book in the movie who she greatly admires she's a strong independent woman who lives in the city they kind of already set that up in the first series uh, or the first season how much she admired this woman and so lo and behold in the second season um, we find out that she has lived a lesbian lifestyle Hmm. and so in her entire life and she throws these kind of wild parties something that you would see uh, in today's culture um, with cross dressers and and homosexuals who are um, mistreated by society and there's also a little boy who uh, it's a very touching dramatic type scene and is sitting with this little boy and he's upset uh, maybe even crying because of the way that that he feels that he is different doesn't go into a lot of um, you kind of have to guess at, at what he means by that but mm-hmm. but later on um, once he um, observes the situation with with Anne's great aunt, he decides that that he is gay. Mm. So you know these are obviously not things that are in in the book that are in the the first TV series that have just been and have been added. So um, they've kind of hijacked it and used it for the purpose of of normalizing um, homosexuality. You know, and it's just it's a shame that they're going to take this innocent children's series and turn it into that. Um, and so parents, you know, may think, oh, this is P- this is TVPG, it's safe, it's Anne of Green Gables, and, mm-hmm. and they're fine with their children watching it if they don't really know what's there. Man, and so I have a couple things I want to say on that, because I've found that the tactic that is employed rather frequently with these types of um, indoctrination efforts is that they begin with tacit, docile presentations. Mm-hmm. Maybe sprinkle it with a little bit, but you don't get the overt uh, imagery and overt messaging until later on. So they bring you in, mm-hmm. get you invested in to the storyline mm-hmm. and to the characters and to where now you want to see what happens. Oh, what's going to happen with the aunt? What's going to happen with the aunt? What's going to happen now? And then once you're hooked, then they drop the aggressive Right messaging. Once you've already begin to begun to identify with that character, you're you're on the side of that character. And imagine if you're a little child, hmm. uh, and and you identify with this this little girl. They you know portray her as a little girl who's who's very intelligent. She's more intelligent really than the other children. Um, and one of the things that that I wrote here is that 
she develops a newly informed view of love. Take mm. that into consideration when they've already portrayed her as someone who's very intelligent. And so she told her caregiver this, I think I learned some things about love, too. It doesn't look the same for everyone. It can come in so many forms. And how can there be anything wrong with a life if it's spent with a person you love? Wow. Now, what age is the Anne character in the in the in the the show? That's a good question. I do I do not know for is sure. I would say early adolescent. Early adolescence. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, and then another question that I have for you: Did Netflix provide any uh, like warning concerning sexual content or nudity or profanity, things like that? No, it's rated PG. That's why it's so dangerous <laughs> because they don't have nudity. You know, they don't have swear words that would qualify it for a, a, a PG. 13 or mature rating or anything Mm -hmm. so that's why it's so dangerous because parents think that it's safe so you have the combination of the parents potential nostalgic reflections on Anne of green gables combined with the tv pg rating Mm -hmm. from netflix which provides a potent setup for what should be or what is expected to be something that is okay for children to consume that it results and, oh, by the way, Anne is open to a new understanding of love. And the strong, uh, independent woman mm-hmm. character just happens to be a lesbian who throws cross-dressing parties and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Which is why, and I feel my soapbox erecting under my feet at the moment <laughs> to stand on. But which is why I tell people as often as I can, there's no such thing as neutral. Mm. There really is, folks. When we are consuming Entertainment, We are when we are consuming literature, when we are consuming all of these things, it is not a passive consumption. We are ingesting the worldview of the creators of these items. And you have in this particular story, which is why I wanted Anne to come on to talk about it, because many of us, of course, I have children. I want my children to be able to consume good things where previously it was stories of hope and overcoming obstacles. And if I have that in my, my historical lexicon, surely I want to present that to my children. But with this new uh, Netflix redo, you have, oh, oh, oh no, it's, it's not it's not your mama's Anne from Green Gables. Huh. It's not your papa's Anne from Green Gables. This is a whole new world <laughs> that is being, being uh, imposed upon our children. And so you have this it seems like a microcosm of entertainment, but match that up with all the other messages that are coming around society, coming from our culture, coming from our society, and you get a potent cocktail of indoctrination. Absolutely. Now It's a whole that, new dangerous world. It's a whole new <laughs> dangerous world. And, and getting back to your title, you said Netflix is added again. Why did you pre- pre- present that? You mentioned 13 Reasons Why. You mentioned desire. Are we seeing a pattern here from Netflix? Yes. And actually, what you just described there is a pattern that we're seeing. Um, 13 Reasons Why would be an example. Um, it's, you know, very well done production, just like it is in Anne with an E. A lot of visual effects, a lot of um, things that really grab the attention, especially of the younger mindset who have short attention span, um, really kind of suck you in. And, and, you know, like we said, they're, they're relating to those characters and and. So it's and it builds, mm-hmm. you know, it may initially seem like it's more innocent and then it continually builds and builds. And um, for instance, with 13 Reasons Why, I mean, it's got everything under the sun mm-hmm. um, as far as sexual depravity and um, everything you can imagine. Um, and, you know, many young 
adolescents have committed suicide as a result of, of watching that series, as mm. most of you probably know. Yeah. And in, in addition to that, you have this Argentinian film, Desire, mm-hmm. that depicts in its opening scene, um, seven-year-old girl, seven-year-old girl and a nine-year-old girl where they're simulating sex acts, which has resulted in AFA calling for a Department of Justice investigation investigation into child pornography uh, because we're not... As, a, as an entity calling for the all-out boycott of Netflix at this time, but I want to present this information to you so you can govern yourselves accordingly. And, and you even share in this piece that in your fa- in your home, you guys made a decision about Netflix. Would you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, we actually started stopped purchasing cable about 12 years ago. So we had become, you know, quite You're dependent. You're so holy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, it just kind of happened by accident because we were with a um, um, international mission group, and so mm-hmm. we didn't even have TV there. And then after we left there and we came here, it's like you know we haven't been we didn't haven't had TV for two years, so why do we need it now? Yeah, um, but, but we I'm did. We don't have cable either. <laughs> no, go ahead. But we did become quite dependent on on Netflix as a result. I mean, we have TV sets, just not cable. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know the thing happened with Thirteen Reasons Why, and so we talked about you know do we want to cancel and then. And then um, this next desire, and when it when it got to that uh, place, I'm I'm like you know I, Jeff and I talked about it, and we're saying, do you think we should cancel? And and we actually did at that mm. time. It was kind of a hard decision for us because yeah. there are a lot of good things on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but so each person, uh, each family has to make the decision for themselves where that line is to be drawn. Um, Ours has been drawn and we canceled. Yeah, and it's amazing because just recently the uh, financial uh, reports indicated that Netflix's capital valuation was bigger than Disney's. Mm. So you can get an idea for how much money we're talking about. You know, Walt Disney, Mickey Mouse, Disney World, that whole thing. Well, Netflix has a higher capital valuation than them. Mm. But it seems like people making decisions like you and the Reed family that you guys have made uh, in just this week, it came out that Netflix had a devaluation of their stock price mm. because they fell short of their projected subscriber numbers. By, I think, over a million. Over a million people less mm. subscribed to what Netflix expected because, you know, they just expected to grow and grow and grow and grow. And surely nobody's going to step away from us. Wow. See, I didn't know that. Devin told me Stacy's canceled her Netflix subscription. So it, it's happening. And we just we have to come to the place where we make to have to make a decision mm-hmm. whether or not we're going to contribute to the advancement of a worldview that we're opposed to. There really is no such thing as neutral. And again, I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your money, but just presenting the information to you. Do you want your money going into filming stuff like this, redoing and of Green Gables to now normalize homosexuality. What I mean, what's what's going to be next? Winnie the Pooh, you know, <laughs> what, what, what's going to be next? And you see this thing happening over and over and over again. Mm. Now I'm going to ask you. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What would you say to the to a person who would say, well, just like you mentioned, you guys struggled a little bit with making this decision. What would you say to a person that would be like, well, man, you know, well, what do we do then? For entertainment, if we're struggling making that decision, if they're struggling making that decision for themselves, what would you say to them? Well, you know, a lot of people posted on um, the social media posting. A lot of people commented, and um, a lot of people have moved to, to Pure Flix. Okay. Um, so that's a good um, alternative. Um, 
So that th- those are going to be Christian series and, and films there. And, you know, there are other streaming. I don't want to name anyone in particular, sure. but there are other streaming platforms out there that are available. Netflix isn't the only one. We live in uh, a great country with a lot of choices. That's good. Praise God for that. You know, and, and it's, it's amazing because I often tell people the reality is that even though it's entertainment, it's a business. Mm. So if we won't watch it, they won't make it. Right. You know, if, if we won't watch it, they won't make it. And when you see the success of like family, family films like like Shrek and and other things, how they just go bananas mm-hmm. with the success. Yet you see Hollywood's pension because let's just be frank. They are rank regressives. Does anybody need to remind you about Harvey Weinstein? I mean, hello. <laughs> uh, these are the type of people that are making this stuff. The smut we see is because it's the smut that they live. Let's just be frank about mm-hmm. it. Uh, but if we won't watch it, they won't make it. They would have no choice. They would not have the money, the money available to make the stuff. So if we would get to the place, because all too often, especially within Christian circles, we present um, purity in our consumption as if it's an adolescent phenomenon. Mm. You know that you know we need, the young people need to make sure they're not listening to this type of music and watching these types of films. But the reality is, the same thing applies for adults. Absolutely. Like you don't graduate <laughs> based on aging out of the time period where you need to govern what you consume with your eyes, ears, and so Mm -hmm. on. And what we often ingest becomes what we uh, consider frequently. And that ingestion often manifests itself in temptations of various sorts. Right. You know, I was thinking about, say, for instance, if you spend $15 a month on Netflix, I think that's what our rate was. What if you took that $15 a month and you applied it uh, to a GoFundMe account um, or a crowdfunding account for a great movie like Roe v. Wade or Mm. the Gosnell movie or some of these other great uh, movies that that Hollywood will not put out there? And and they've got to come to We the People in order to, to put those out there. What if we took that money that we're paying into Netflix and we put them? into those kinds of great films. Great point, Anne. AFAjournal.org. AFAjournal.org. You can read all of Anne's writings. And I have to tell you, she is an amazing writer, capturing stories, travels around the world, has been to Israel <laughs> writing about things. You don't want to miss what she offers. And you don't want to miss the one-year free subscription to the AFA Journal. Go to AFAjournal.org where you can uh, order the one one uh, year subscription. Oh, and Rich made a good point. Uh, nobody talks about the fact that mm, the Obamas have a series on Netflix now, and Absolutely. Susan Rice is a part of their executive board. So um, you may want to be aware of that. And by this, the way, when you cancel, there, you can actually put your reason why you're canceling. You can if you do your, that online, you can put your reason why you cancel. This is Abraham Hamilton sitting in for Stacy on the right. Thank you so much for tuning in. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.